welcome to this podcast on Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the character of Bob Cratchit and the Cratchit family. Bob Cratchit is Scrooge's downtrodden employee who is too scared to ask for anything more from his covetous old sinner of an employer, Ebenezer Scrooge. This includes Bob's disinclination to ask for more coal to warm his working quarters and also how he is even fearful to ask for Christmas Day off as a holiday. Scrooge reluctantly does this, though not without stating a fine excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Bob's innocent yet fairly meek nature is sadly conveyed in the opening stave as Dickens explores how he put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle in which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. Bob is a symbol of all things good in this novella, and Dickens makes this clear from the opening stave. Bob bursts into applause after Fred's festive plea to his miserly old uncle, after which he is threatened with losing his situation. It is almost like Bob can't help but burst with festive cheer at the ideas which Fred discusses with his uncle. Scrooge mocks Bob for his festive demeanour, stating, My clerk with 15 shillings a week and a wife and family talking about a Merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. The irony here, of course, is that Scrooge controls Bob's wealth and subsequently the financial struggle which the Cratchit's family find themselves in is entirely a result of Scrooge's refusal to pay Bob a fair wage. This, of course, doesn't deter old Bob Cratchit, who, after finishing a hard day's work on Christmas Eve, ran home to Candom Town as hard as he could pelt to play blind man's buff. Dickens' juxtaposition of the clerk and his employer is a really effective way of immediately conveying the key message of this ghostly little book, as Charles himself called it. As despite being trapped in a sort of tank, a perfect metaphor for the conscious economic cruelty inflicted upon Bob by his employer, he still emits a festive spirit which can't be dampened, either by his employer or by anyone else, including his wife, who has a word or two to say about Mr Scrooge later on in Stave 3. In Stave 3, the jolly giant himself, no, not Father Christmas, though the similarities are obvious, the ghost of Christmas present transports Scrooge to many different Christmas scenes, one of which being the Cratchit family Christmas. During this scene, Scrooge witnesses the reality of a Victorian Christmas day, which involves a younger daughter working overnight, a roaring fire, a goose or a feathered phenomenon, as Dickens writes, and excitement about a Christmas pudding the likes of which you have never seen. Before Bob arrives home with Tiny Tim, we are introduced to his daughter, Martha. As she enters, we learn how she had to clear up this morning after a great deal of work last night. Mrs Cratchit, who was dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned-down gown, then invites her daughter to sit ye down before the fire. Almost like a blazing metaphor for the love and comfort, Martha is immediately embraced by the loving welcome of her mother, who offers her the one and only comfort she can, warmth and love. Martha and Mrs Cratchit play a trick on old Bob as he enters the family home, one which serves to show the reader where Bob's real love lies with his family. Upon realising that young Martha has arrived for Christmas Day, Bob hugged his daughter to his heart's content. Again, despite the financial struggle which binds the Cratchit family, their love for one another never wanes in the novella, and at Christmas it only glows even stronger. 
Not only is the family home filled with love on Christmas Day, it is a particularly riotous and jubilant occasion for Bob and the Cratchits. Master Peter Cratchit is an energetic and active participant in the Cratchit celebrations. Peter goes to fetch the goose, for example, and he mashes the potatoes with incredible vigour. Let's talk about Peter. Peter Cratchit is presented as being on the cusp of manhood. Bob has just found a situation, meaning job, for Peter that will pay him a bewildering sum of money each week. Moreover, Peter seems very keen to be a man of business and immediately begins thinking about how he will invest his money. By presenting Peter in this way, we see that his role in the story is to show how poor families must utilise each member to contribute to the running of the household, particularly to the family income. Although he's very young, Peter's future is already mapped out. He must go out to work and his contribution to the family's income because their state of poverty requires it. Through Peter, then, Dickens highlights the burden of poor children who function as physical and economic assets to their families. We are also introduced to young Belinda Cratchit, second of the Cratchit daughters, who is also brave in ribbons which are cheap and make a goodly show for sixpence. Dickens refers financially to the each of the Cratchit situations, as it is clear that they have been very thrifty in their appearance. Through reused clothing and hand-me-downs, they are still well presented in honour of this blessed day. The excitement and chaos of the Cratchit household on Christmas Day can be largely attributed to the two younger Cratchits, boy and girl, who are filled with jubilance at the sight of seeing their Christmas goose. Dickens describes how they came tearing in, screaming that outside the baker's they had smelt the goose and known it for their own. Following this, we are finally introduced to everyone's favourite little Cratchit, Tiny Tim, who enters with his father, who had been his blood horse all the way home from church. One of the first descriptions of Tiny Tim is, as good as gold and better. When Bob uses this simile in reply to his wife about Tim's behaviour in church, he is poignantly reflecting on Tim's thoughtful nature and he explores how he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. How heartbreaking. Dickens describes how Bob's voice was tremulous as he is near tears when discussing how his boy is growing strong and hearty. Obviously, he doesn't believe this himself. Tim's condition, though not explicitly stated in the novella, is clearly a result of his conditions in Victorian London. Tim uses a crutch and his hip is supported by an iron frame. In Victorian London, child mortality was rife, with infectious diseases being the greatest cause of Victorian mortality. Most of these, such as smallpox, tuberculosis and influenza, were old scourges, but in 1831 Britain suffered its first epidemic of cholera. Slowly, it was understood that this was spread by water contaminated by sewage. So as previously mentioned, his condition isn't specifically specified in the novella, but it is clear that Tiny Tim is suffering because he's underfed, living in poor conditions and unable to receive medical treatment. Remember, Britain had no healthcare system at this time. Subsequently, mortality rates were much higher for poorer people. Scrooge's ability to control Tim's health lies solely in his pockets. His refusal to pay Bob a fair wage, 15 shillings a week he's paid currently, will only further Tim's condition and increase the cycle of ignorance and want.
Back to the Cratchit Christmas. What a feast they have. Even though it was a small pudding for a large family, it would have been flat heresy to state such a thing. Dickens' description of the Christmas meal truly reflects the joyous, eager and overall happiness of the Cratchit family at this time. We read how Tiny Tim feebly cried, Hurrah! at the sight of the steam leaving the goose, at which Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose. The family enjoy their meal, and even the two Cratchits are steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. At Tim's blessing, Scrooge pleads with the spirit to tell him if Tiny Tim will live, begging with the spirit to say he will be spared. As I'm sure you can remember, the spirit tells him that he sees a vacant seat and a crutch without an owner. But so what? If he's going to die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hangs his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit. And just to make him feel that little bit worse, he then hears Bob Cratchit toast to him, the founder of the feast. At this point, Mrs. Cratchit's furious response cannot be held back, Christmas Day or not. She calls Scrooge an odious, stingy, hard and feeling man, and one who Bob feels the wrath of more than anyone. Poor fellow. But Bob, being Bob, he simply repeats, My dear, Christmas Day. And the family raised their glass to the man who funded the meagre sum of money to pay for this meal. Dickens ends this scene with a really touching description. He writes, They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty. And Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and happier yet in the bright splinklings of the spirit's touch at parting. Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. This truly summarises the Cratchit family's resilience and moreover, their love for one another which keeps them strong. However, even love as strong as this can't overcome the crippling grip of poverty and illness and in stage four, the last of the three spirits, we see this truly take hold as the reader learns of Tiny Tim's passing. Get your tissues ready, everyone. The death of his son, Tiny Tim, affects Bob greatly, and we read how Bob has walked a little slower than he used to these last few evenings. A clear, contrasting description of the previous blood horse in stave stave three. We read how Tim was very light to carry, and how Bob loved him so. At this point, it becomes clear to us that Tim has succumbed to his illness, like so many Victorian children, and he's passed away. Bob describes Tim's final resting place as how green a place it is, and he promised Tim that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little child, cried Bob, my little child. At this point, Bob breaks down, and the reader observes a very different Cratchit scene. The solemn, grieving family sit together, and Bob is kissed by his wife, daughters, and the rest of his family. Scrooge hears Bob say, I'm very happy before he pleads with the spirits about his own future. Thankfully, due to the power of the spirits, they can do anything they like after all, these images are reversed, and we end stage five with Scrooge's promise to Bob to assist his struggling family. He tells Bob he will raise his salary, and they will discuss his affairs over a bowl of smoking bishop. Make up the fires, Bob. 
The symbolism of fire is prevalent throughout the Christmas carol, and Scrooge's order to buy another coal scuttle is in stark contrast to the icy cold atmosphere of the clerk's tank in stave one. The fire is symbolic of Scrooge's change in character, and in the final lines of the novella, we learn how Scrooge was a better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. Our ghostly little book ends with Tiny Tim's iconic Christmas wish. God bless us, everyone. Thanks very much, Tim. God bless you too.